Welcome to the Paragold Podcast. This is Jared Pitney, and today is a very special day because I am joined by Brooke Smith, who works behind the scenes for the Paragold Podcast, and she is here with her father, Roland Irwin, who is the uh, Associate Chief of Operations for ERISA Health, and you have a PhD in clinical psychology. So welcome, both of you, to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, so when I first reached out to you, Roland, we I wanted to talk about uh, just the mental health world. And then, like, literally, like, I guess a few hours ago, uh, Brooke uh, opened her mouth and didn't even realize that she gave me a great idea that it would be, I, I thought at least a great idea, to have you both on uh, to talk really about Brooke's journey, um, to talk about it from her perspective and from your perspective. And just to give some context, because I know that most people listening to this don't know who Brooke is, which, as I said, she works behind the scenes for the podcast, uh, does a phenomenal job serving in many incredible ways. But uh, Brooke, you had a a pretty kind of, I guess I could say up and down, um, I guess, trajectory in your life. And it actually began to go more downward than upward. Um, Start, I guess, around like your teenage years and even into your 20s where you fell into addiction. Um, And uh, man, just a really, a story of brokenness that turned into a story of beauty. And um, I want to hear kind of from you a a little bit about like your perspective of that journey. But then what I thought would be really unique about this episode is for those listening, not only are they going to be able to kind of hear a little about Brooke's story from uh, her perspective, but also from your perspective, Roland, because, you know, there's a lot of people, and I know that you're aware of this in your field, uh, there's a lot of people who struggle with addiction. And um, if they don't struggle with addiction, then they at least have a loved one that does. And one thing I think is so powerful about your story is just hearing a little bit from Brooke is just what it must be like for a father to watch his daughter or loved one go through this and there's not really a manual sometimes of like, here's exactly what you do. Um, but I would love to hear from you just how you wrestle with some of that stuff and, and what it looked like as a father to try to love your child well when they're in the midst of, of kind of these places. So that's where I want to go uh, eventually. But before we do that, I, I'm just interested, Roland. Um, you know, we had uh, Barry Davis, who is, works at the hospital here. He uh, is president, I believe is his title, um, uh, of the Paragold Hospital. And he mentioned to me recently that uh, he has seen, the hospital has seen more mental health patients than he can ever remember. And he's been working at the hospital, I think, since like 1980. Um, I've also heard from the police officers and people that there's a mental health crisis. Is that something that y'all are seeing from your perspective? Is it seem like more and more people are struggling with mental health than ever before? Or are we just becoming more aware of it? Kind of what's going on? Well, I think it's, I think it's partly both. Um, there's a, a much wider variety of options out there for treatment. And so more people are in counseling. You hear a lot more uh, people talking about, hey, I'm seeing a therapist. And, mm-hmm. and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, for those of us in the profession, it does feel like we're in the midst of a crisis. Um, and, you know, where does that come from? Um, well, it's it's from all over the place. I mean, a lot of it is is the drug Mm. Uh, the the prevalence of drug use in our society has just exploded. Why do you think but, that is? Um, well, it's a hard question to answer, but sure. you know, um, of course, a lot of people are using drugs to get into it for recreational purposes, and then it goes awry, it goes further than they wanted it to, and they lose control of it. Other people are 
there's so many people today who don't have a sense of purpose in life mm-hmm. and they don't have a direction on where they're going. And in my opinion, a lot of that is spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a society, we're drifted away from uh, what has been the anchor of this country for years, which is a foundation in a sense of, of allegiance to a higher power. Mm-hmm. Um, and many people go through life without that. Mm-hmm. And without that sense of purpose and meaning in life, then it then it leaves you feeling listless and just you're just wandering. Mm-hmm. And when you're wandering, you'll try anything mm-hmm. to fill that void that's in your heart. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes for some people, that's where it comes from. Yeah. But the drug the drug problem is a tremendous problem for this for those of us in in the mental health field. It causes mental health problems. We could get into that. You know, there are a lot of drugs on the streets now that cause psychosis. Mm. Um, for those of us trying to diagnose schizophrenia, one of the first things we have to rule out is, is this person's hallucinations caused by drugs or is it schizophrenia? Used to, the answer was easy. It was going to be schizophrenia. But today, when somebody comes into the emergency room and they're having, you know, bizarre delusions, um, or hallucinations, you know, that it's more likely that it's drug induced. Wow. Um, but you know, uh, uh, the drugs, the 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 lack of uh, a sense of you know meaning and purpose and direction in life, um, mm-hmm. and then you know we're also busy and life is chaotic and um, we we're we're trying to shoot for 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 goals uh, and and that that are hard to achieve and. And just life is hard these days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, with um, the way we live our lives electronically, there's not as much community as we used to have. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't attend church like they used to. And you get a sense of, of community through places like that. There, You know, if you weren't in, in church, you used to, there was a club you were in. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, we don't have that anymore. We have Facebook. And yeah. what kind of a relationship is that? Right. You know? All of these things together, I think, are, are, you know, and there are other issues, you know, but yes. those three right there are, are, are big. Huge. Yeah, it is huge. Uh, lack of purpose. The, you said, just overly busy, not being connected in community. And then I think even when you think about Facebook, it's like it seems like we see people's best face forward, and so we're constantly comparing our worst days to someone else's best day, and it's like. God, my life must be really pretty weak look yeah how, look how it, i stand up compared to everyone else oh it man a hundred percent yeah and so I, i'm curious like for people and we'll get into your story brooke uh after this like people that are coming in to um to see a therapist to get to, to you know for an intake what are y'all seeing the most of right now is it anxiety is it depression is it adhd like what is like the bulk of the cases a- anxiety and depression uh, i saw somebody this morning that's just riddled with anxiety and panic not knowing where it's coming from, not knowing how to cope with it. Yeah. And so anxiety and depression and uh, just other stress-related disorders, lots of PTSD, mm. you know. And PTSD is of, not just like you've gone to war. Like that's kind of a misconception, right? Like Any any awful tragedy or trauma in your life can cause that. Yeah. And if you're not – if you come from uh, – a home or a setting and, and you didn't learn good coping skills, your self-esteem is not real good. Um, um, you don't have a good, a good 
social support network, you're more vulnerable to develop stress reactions when something happens in your life. Interesting. So if you don't have the strong relational connection, which you're saying helps give you a healthy self-esteem, you're more likely to not be able to handle the stressors in a healthy way, which creates the PTSD. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, because we continue to all, we talk about that a lot of just how important relationships are. And um, I've just never really, I've heard that probably makes perfect sense. I mean, that seems like common sense, really. Um, there's so much I love to talk to you about just around like the clinical psychology side of things. But I, I want to get into your story, Brooke. Um, so you are a teenager. And, and tell me kind of like how you alluded to it, Roland, of just most people get into it recreationally. And it's just like, okay, like I'm in control of this. I'm just having a good time. Is that kind of your story? Is that how you yes, guys? that was exactly what happened. Okay. So you're what age whenever you first? 16. Okay. So take me, help me understand, and, and maybe even those listening a little bit, because I'm sure your story is similar to a lot of people's story. What did that look like? Like, how did it go from, I'm doing this recreationally, to become an addiction that actually went from, I know, took you from being just kind of a, a functioning addict to, like, lost everything? Um. Yeah, it started just partying in high school with friends, um, and then a few years later, I was having just some health issues, and the doctor put me on hydrocodone, and uh, I couldn't take them because it made me nauseous, and he told me how to be able to take them. This was the late 90s when the pharmaceutical companies were doing the big opiate push, and um, you take a snack and you take a half of one and, and it won't make you nauseous and you can take it for pain. And as soon as I realized that and got high from it, I was like, oh, this is a whole new world. Mm. And so over the next few years, it quickly just became uh, what was, you know, just for fun became a, a daily need. Um, mm. I couldn't go a day without it. Fast forward several years, lots of up and downs, um, had a couple of kids, had a third baby, um, met my husband, and we had a couple of kids, and then our baby died um, just over 13 years ago, and it it just wrecked our lives. We were already headed down a very bad path, but it was more of a slow, mm-hmm. slow roll downhill. Um, after he died, it it just escalated. It became an excuse, you know. We because you know, now you're grieving. Yeah, now you've, yeah. Who yeah. could blame me for? Our son died. I mean, you know, I, I, and and I. There was a lot of responsibility I felt for his death, and so that it just it ate me up, and we became um, really bad meth addicts at that point. And our the two our two older kids that were. Um, living with this, I mean, we were neglecting them, barely able to pay pay our bills. Um, and when you're in the middle of like you're losing, like you're, you know you're you're not being the mom you should be, like you're not taking care of. Them. Like, what is that like for an addict? Because like you know, I think sometimes outside looking in as someone who's never like I've never been addicted to meth or I've never fallen hardcore to drugs. I've had other addictions like that, just you know, achievement or success or whatever. But like, that's a really destructive addiction that from the outside looking in, you're like why can't you just see how big of a mess you're making? Like, stop it. Like, like, do you know when you're in the middle of it, I'm making a mess of my life. Like, I'm screwing up everything. And Or is it like you're blind to it and you don't see it? Like, like can you explain that? Um, <clears throat> you definitely know, but it's like the, 
it becomes so shameful that you just want to keep covering it up. You know, um, it's like you can't handle the pain of the horrible person you've become, daughter, mother, sister, friend, and so it's just easier to stay in it. Um, and had it not been for us getting arrested in 2012 and us literally being yanked out of it, I mean, we probably would have died. Does it feel hopeless? Like there's no way I can oh, change? Oh, absolutely. Just hopeless and desperate. Um, yeah. And like, how am I, how, I could never live a sober life. How could I, how could I ever, you know, live a sober life? Life, it's too, life is too hard. Be, you know, it's better to not be in reality. <laughs> I'm interested from a psychology standpoint, not with your father hat on right now. Cause I do hear that a lot from addicts is like, yeah, you do get to a place where you feel completely like there's no way I can possibly change. What is that about? Like, cause it, you, I would think you hear enough stories of people that do change that you're like, look, it happened for them. Why couldn't it happen for you? Like what is going on, whether it's chemically or psychology, like what's happening that's creating that narrative of this is just my life and I'm doomed to, to die this way. You're asking a very hard question. Chemically, I, I, I don't really know how to explain that. Um, I guess, the, and it, it's hard for me to, you know, you ask me to answer this question as the psychologist. Mm-hmm. And when we start talking about this issue, it's hard for me to do that. I, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. sure. I'm her dad and that's what I am and was. Mm-hmm. And um, I will say this, though, Jared, I, you know, before my, my daughter went down this path, I was already practicing, you know, as a psychologist and seeing people come into the office with, you know, years-long drug addictions. And, and you know, a, a person addicted to drugs develops a sort of personality. And a, a hallmark of that is dishonesty. Mm. Um, you can't live a life of an addict with, with, while being an honest person. You're not mm. honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. And you're certainly not honest with anyone in the world you live in because you don't want them to know what you're like. Mm. And so you live, most of, most of them live two lives. They live a life mm-hmm. with their addict friends and then they try to live another life, you know. Um, and it's a complete farce. Mm-hmm. And that person gets really, really good at it. Not, not at being successful in life, but be, at being a dishonest person. And the deceive themselves. I, I think they really don't understand the level of deceit that they're pulling off, even on themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, you've heard people people say, "Oh, they they're a liar. They lie so much they don't even yes. know it." Yes. We all know people like that. Well, yeah. that is many times an addict gets that way. But what I was going to say is, I, I I would see people coming in my office. This is before this is for before I knew Brooke into what she you yeah. know, became. Yeah. Um, and I would go, well, that's probably, you know, that's the way that guy or that lady's always been. You know, it never would, it never would occur to me that before drugs, they could have been an entirely different person. Mm-hmm. And, and then I saw it happen in my own child's life because, honestly, she became someone I would never even thought I knew. Wow. The things that she would say and do. And I would like, this is... The, drug, the drugs, and I'm not, you know, I'm not taking blame off of Brooke, sure. okay? But the drugs made her into something I did not recognize as a parent. Mm. My mom would say the same thing, And when thing you too. see that, you don't know as a parent, what do I do? This is not even my child. Mm. 
my child. There's no like this logical all, conversation you can have. No, yeah. my child that I knew all these years would never act this way or say these things or tell these flat out lies. And, you know, and, um, and I don't really think at that time she really had a, a, a real awareness of it. And when did you start seeing that? Was that your teenage years or when she was in her twenties? It 20s? was after that, I think. And, and just so to kind of tell the whole story, mm-hmm. her mother and I divorced when she was a little girl. Mm-hmm. And um, then um, for a, a number of situations that we won't get into, that, that, that her brother ended up living with me and she lived with her mother obviously that's not the way to design a family. Mm. I mean, and it was, it was not God's plan Mm. (laughs) and you know, none of us were living God's plan Mm. at that point. And, um, um, so Brooke and I drifted apart Mm. and I have for years taken, you know, my share of responsibility for that Mm. during her early years. And I've wondered, you know, had I, had I been more involved, could I have prevented some of this? But here's the thing. As parents, you end up beating yourself up. Totally. And then and then you become an enabler. Because, because, gosh, my daughter's doing this. What should I have done to prevent it? Somehow this is my fault. Mm. And so then I enabled her and you know, and her husband. And when for, you say enabled, years. is it like you're you you feel a little bit guilty or a little shame over it? Man, I maybe I wasn't there like I should have been. I didn't love as good as I should have. So I'm gonna go above and beyond and really try to be there now and really try to care for now. Is that well, I, I don't guess I did that so much, but they were always calling me with the latest problem. And it was usually around money. Mm-hmm. And then there she's got my grandkids, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and you you know, so I would I would help them out financially and that would kind of prop them up for a little bit but really what it was doing sustaining their habits yeah um and it wasn't like brooke said it wasn't till and uh, you know there was a, a series of events that led to them getting arrested which was the the best thing that could have ever happened in their lives and yeah. as awful as that and it was yeah. pretty serious well i want to i want to get into that in a second but i want to i want to ask you this roland and and um I know y'all have talked about a lot of this kind of stuff, so I don't think I'm bringing up anything y'all haven't already talked about, but what is it like for a parent who is going through that, like from your perspective? I know a little bit about what it's like for you to live in that brook, and you can talk even more about that, but <clears throat> I, I, I just, you know, my kids are young. I, at this point, this is recorded. I've got a 10-year-old, 9-year-old, and 6-year-old. I don't know what's going to happen to them in their teenage years, but I just can't imagine how heartbreaking it would be for me to experience something like this in my own child. Like, what was that season like for you? Like, how are you processing that? I'm just even curious, like, after you share that, maybe what encouragement would you have for someone who's maybe in that right now? Well, I would first say that it was as painful as anything emotionally that I think that I can imagine. Um, in some ways, and I, you know, I haven't lost a child to death, so you know, I, but it almost felt like it was that bad to to see. You know, I don't I don't want to get into the, <laughs> the details, but to see your see your child heading down this this road of destruction and taking her kids with her, mm-hmm. um, and to to feel like you couldn't do anything about it, um, it was it was very painful. Um, but and and you know uh, you, you're trying to you're trying to decide you know when when do I 
when do I stop, you know, helping? And, um, you know, and, and, and we would have conversations. I'm not going to do, you know, this is the last time and, you know, on, on and on. And, um, but um, never give up hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just, I tell parents that mm-hmm. who are where I was and where we were, mm-hmm. even when it's hopeless, mm-hmm. don't give up hope. And, uh, and for me, it was never stop praying and asking for others to pray. That's what I was about that, to ask that, you. That's what it was for me. And, and, and um, you know, I know that sustained me, and, and I believe spiritually it had an impact. Yeah. And today, I, I really, there's hardly a day that goes by that I don't thank God mm. for his restoration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful story, and I'd like to kind of move towards that restoration part of it. So you're in your mess. What are you, late 20s at this point? Still in your mess, right? You and BJ struggling. Uh, still have the kids at home. Mm-hmm. Is that right? So eventually, I guess you got, y'all got busted by the police in Texas. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. They ended up arresting us at my mother's house. Okay, at your mother's house. And so catch me up from there, like – what are you thinking at that point? Is there any sense of like relief of like, okay, like I'm busted. I got, or is it like, no, okay, I'm going to get out of this. Dad's going to get me out of this. I'm going to get back to what I'm going to do. Life is normal. Like what's going on whenever you get caught and you know, like, okay, um, I'm in trouble. <clears throat> there was definitely a sense of relief. Like, like maybe now, cause we had tried to get sober off and on throughout the years. And it was like, maybe now this is mm. when our life is going to change. Um, I did because of all the years of enabling and I knew I could call my dad and, and he would always get me out of a bind. I had that sense of dad's going to help me out. You know, surely I won't go to prison. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but we, we were definitely glad to be stopped, I guess, you know, um, but so I called dad and I've I've shared this with you before Mm -hmm. I called dad or yeah, I called him and I, I was like, dad, I don't know what to do. And I was just a mess. And he said, Brooke, he said, I cannot help you anymore. Mm -hmm. He said, I will raise your children until you get your life together. And then whenever you get that to that point, call me and we will talk about whether or not you can have your kids back. Was that a difficult thing for you at that point? Or had you had enough to where you're just like, this has got to be it at that point? Well, well, of course it's difficult. I mean, y- yes. I mean, you know that, and and it was, it was excruciating, to see your, your little girl going to going to jail and maybe going to prison. Very likely going to prison at that point. It appeared. Um, but I had I had pretty much drawn the line actually before that, and and had and I had told her, you know, I'm not going to bail you out again, but you know, whatever. Um, and then. When she called that time, I, I told her the same thing, and it was a really, really nasty conversation. I don't know, if, I don't know, Brooke, if we've ever talked about that. I don't think we have. You may not remember, <clears throat> but she really let me have it. Yeah. Like I was the worst person in the world for yeah. leaving her in jail, and it was my fault and not hers. Yeah. And, um, of course, that didn't set well with me. And yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I bring that up only to point out that, you know, the Brooke I knew – how can this be Brooke? Mm. 
mm-hmm. talking to me that way just because I won't come run get her out of jail when she's the one, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's my point is drugs make you into a different person. Mm-hmm. And I'll go ahead and just share this. She was in jail. They, they transferred her to, to the jail in um, um, Forest, is it Forest County, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, in Hattiesburg, uh, which was a very large and, and uh, Rough. scary environment. <laughs> and so she was there for months. And um, um, there was a, a lady that, that went to, she knew, that went to church with my uh, uh, sister and her husband down there. Um, and she had a ministry where she would go and uh, minister to the to the ladies mm. in the, if they would listen. And she met with Brooke often, and she would write me a letter almost every week. And for weeks, the letters said the same thing. Brooke is not contrite. Wow. Brooke is hard. She's got a hard heart. Wow. And um, and but she didn't quit. She kept going back and meeting with Brooke. Mm. And um, you know, it was clear that Brooke was just not the Brooke that we knew. Mm-hmm. The drugs had transformed her into a mm-hmm. different personality. And anyway, I, I guess I'm getting ahead, yeah. but but uh. Um, then one day, one day, it was several months into it, um, close to eight months, I got a letter from her, from the same lady, and um, um, she she said, uh, I, I, I can sense a turning in Brooke. Her heart is softening. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> I had vowed not to hire her an attorney to let the legal course take place and to let her fight this battle. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, everybody's telling me, you know, she's got a public defender, and they don't have time to really help somebody, and mm-hmm. she's going to go to prison. Is that going to be helpful to her? You know, right. that's yeah. what I'm struggling Absolutely. with. So I call a dear friend of mine who's a believer, and uh, he's a Christian. He's a lawyer in uh, in, Nash- in, uh, in East Tennessee. And uh, I just would call him and, and, and just cry out to him, you know. And I called him one day, and I said, I said, Jamie, I, I, I don't know where to turn. I feel like I need to do something, but I don't know what to do. I don't, you know, I don't want to try to get Brooke out of trouble because mm-hmm. she's violated, you know, laws, and she needs to face her. And, um, and, and I said, just pray for me. And he said, well, I, well hang up the phone. I want to pray. Mm-hmm. So he hangs up the phone, and he calls me back in 20 minutes, and he says, I've been pacing up and down my stairs for the last 20 minutes, praying out to God, and all he says to me is grace. Mm-hmm. And so to me that meant I've been given grace, mm-hmm. and now is the time for me to give that to Brooke. Mm-hmm. And we... we um, I hired an attorney with the clear understanding that you're not trying to fight this because she's guilty. I just want her to get the same deal she would get if if she were a person of some higher standing in this yes. community, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. 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 Brooke, when, you know, the lady that was working with you, you said that, you know, at first you weren't contrite, but then she was beginning to see that your heart was softening. Can you tell me, <clears throat> can you tell me about that? Like what was going on? Well, Jesus... Um, Jesus saved me in jail. Mm. 
I, I told him that I, I, um, I would do anything to get my kids back. Mm-hmm. I said, I will live the rest of my life. Surrender to you if you just help me get my kids back. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. <laughs> and that was what year? 2012. 2012. October of 2012. You talk about, you know, she wasn't, this lady was saying she wasn't broken when she first got there. You talked about how before y'all went to jail, you and BJ tried to get clean. Does there have to come to a place where, like, it's absolute just broken down, where there's no other option for people to typically get out of addiction? Like, is... Had y'all not, like, was that kind of the first time that you really felt like you had hit rock mm-hmm. bottom? Yeah, definitely. I mean, not everybody has to hit rock bottom to find sobriety. Um, I would say, I mean, this is just a made-up statistic, but I would say like 90 to 95% of people do. Rarely do you hear of any stories, and we're heavy in the recovery community here, but rarely do you hear of stories where people are like, oh, I just quit doing drugs today. You know, it's always right. it's not because just a, a they switch. You just flip all the sudden. Yeah, it's because they lost everything, and a lot of times it's because they lost their kids, and they're going to rehab to try to get their kids back. Yeah. So you decide, I'm going to do whatever it takes, God. Like I'll do whatever it takes to get my kids back. Like please save me, help me. Like I want to be the woman. I want to be the mom. I want to be the daughter. All these things that I know that you've created me to be. So at that point, catch me up. Uh, that's 2012. What happens from there? After that point. Um, well, dad hired me an attorney and, um, I was, I moved up. Actually, I think <clears throat> my grandmother, his mom is the one that told me I was going to Paragould, Arkansas to the Agape house. Okay. And how did that happen? Was that just like a deal where they were like, if you go it to a, a drug rehab, we'll, you don't have to go to prison. Um, it was way more complicated than that. They did not want me to leave the state and, it was literally God just opening door after door. Um, uh, her attorney told me when I when I I started looking for a place in Arkansas for her to go to, to rehab and mm-hmm. and through through some connections I had through work, you know, somebody told me about the Gape House and I called there and talked to um, Sonny. Sonny. And um, um, anyway, and I told the attorney about it. He kind of he laughed at me. He said this judge would never let her leave the state of Mississippi. You can forget that. And and I and I said, Well, okay, I don't know anywhere down there. I started looking and I looked in all over the place in Mississippi for a place that would be, you know, somewhere she could go for a few months and I you know, and it just kept coming back, Agape House and mm. and um, you know, we just prayed and and and, uh, and one day he just calls and says, You're not gonna believe it. That judge agreed to let this happen. <laughs> You'd be ecstatic yeah, right, yeah, at that point. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh I very excited and scared to death yeah cautiously you know, kind of where, optimistic. where yeah. is this really going to lead to you know yes. i mean yeah cautious yeah that's right because you hear those stories right mm-hmm. it's like hey i'm changed mm-hmm. i mean rehab and they come back out right you know yeah. have you ever heard of Paragon before up to that point no right? that's what i was going to say my grandmother told me that i was like i don't even know where that is <laughs> <laughs> I had never heard of Paragold, Arkansas before. And um, I was like, the what house am I going to? Yeah. But I didn't care. I'd been in jail for, by that point, I think seven, six or seven months. And so I didn't care. I was like, I'll go anywhere. And I had already given my life to the Lord by yeah. this point. And so I was like, I'll I'll be happy anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so dad came and picked me up from jail, actually, middle of December. 
I got arrested in May, so I was in shorts and a tank top and out in the middle of December, mm. and it was like 40s. <laughs> wow. Um, and he took me, I guess we stayed at my grandparents that mm. night and took me to the Agape house the very next day. When was that? You said middle of December? That was, so by the time, I think I got to the Agape house like December 18th. It was the week before Christmas. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's how we met, for those that don't know. We met like two weeks later. Yeah, yeah. two weeks later. And so I was, we were working our church with a, a lady who was at the Guppy House for a little while and then got a chance to meet you, and the rest is history, right? You end up joining our church not long after that, and then now you work on staff here. And so um, I'm curious, Brooke, um, it, it really is amazing to see kind of what God has done in your life. I mean, I've told you this, and I'll say it in front of your dad, like you're a huge gift uh, to me and our church and to so many people. And so uh, God's work is its just obvious. Um, yeah, that he's working in you and through you in incredible ways. And so I, I'm curious what, um, not that life is perfect, right? Like we all continue to have our ups and downs and battles and struggles and all those kind of things, but um, it really is cool to see like where you are right now. And I, I'm, I'm curious now that you're where you are, is there any encouragement that you would have to someone who might be in an addiction right now or might be struggling with something, whether it's drugs or alcohol, or maybe they know someone that, that has, I know your dad said, don't lose hope. That was kind of his thing. You need to pray. Don't enable. Um, what about for someone who's actually <clears throat> in it? Any encouragement you have? <clears throat> it is possible. A better life is possible. Um, sobriety is possible for anybody. Um, but recovery, really, it has to be, for me, surrounded or surrendered to Jesus. Like, I can't, I would have relapsed countless times by now. We're a little over 10 years in, and, I mean, I, I could have, I wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for my relationship with Jesus. Um he keeps me sober, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but recovery is possible even whenever you feel like it's not. Um, you're at that desperate place. It it is possible, and there are people that that want to help. Yeah, and for those uh, that don't know, I mean, it's uh, not to. I don't want to leave this side of the or this part of the story out and just assume people know. But you did get your kids back. Uh, your husband, BJ, also had this transformational experience where he'd say, oh, he's running his life to Christ, moved down here as well. Um, and it's just been cool to see him. Can you start it out in the paint department at <laughs> Allen Engineering? Literally like the messiest, like worst job you could probably start out at, you know, um, and has just continued to climb his way up and has done really well at Allen. And, um, yeah, it's just really cool to see your kids grow and, and what they're uh, – it's just, yeah, an amazing, amazing story. And I'm glad can, I've been able to kind of watch some of it. Can I tell one more yeah. one more little piece of that? Yeah. And, and since you can edit, and you, you may want to edit this sure. part out. Um, so I feel at liberty to tell it because of that. But So she's at the Agape house. She's been mm-hmm. there a couple of three months. And she gets a letter. From I think it's from her attorney, but I can't recall exactly. Some from some official in Forest County mm. that says there's a warrant for your arrest because you have these outstanding charges that you've not. It was you know, a ticket that I hadn't paid. Okay, it was a ticket mm. that you haven't you haven't paid, and so there's a warrant out for your arrest. And so you know everything's hanging by a thread. It feels like anyway, this mm-hmm. judge didn't want her up here anyway, mm-hmm. and. Um, 
and now and and I remember when we went to court to get uh, at the hearing that he had decided to let her. It, you know, just listening to him talk didn't sound like he was in favor of any of this. Mm-hmm. Well, because I had a prior felony, and, and he, he was not. It. Yeah, they he were. didn't know about it. They made me that stand hearing. to the side. Yeah, yeah, for them to decide. It's not looking yeah. good. Uh, no, no, it wasn't. So then we get this letter that says, you know, uh, you've got to report to whatever court it was. I'm, I'm blanking. Pe- on it was the in details. Pedal. I can't remember. Yeah, by on whatever date. Well, here she is, in, you know. In Agape House, and um, under court order not to leave there, and so I took off from work on a Thursday and a Friday, and drove down there. And I said, "I've got to go find out where this is." So I go down, and I and I go to the, I guess the first place was the Pedal Police Department, and said, "Here's what's going on. We got this. We got this letter. I need you know, my daughter's. I need." Well, they go, "Well, we don't have a record of this." And I go, well, there's a record somewhere because we got a letter from from you. And he goes, well, c- we'll try the county. So I go over to the county. I go in and, and you know, it's it's a hassle getting people to talk to you. Finally, they this lady goes through the records, you know, through the computer system. We have no record of what you're talking about, sir. And then I go to the city of Hattiesburg. I've got to find where this is. Yes. Where this, yes. And, and they have nothing. I spent nearly two days looking to try to chase this down, and I could not find any evidence that exists. What happened? I you tell me. I don't know. <laughs> the I, whole Agape House was I praying tell, like crazy that I, I would not have I, to go back know, to Mississippi. And I, I look, I'm not. A, I'm not a wishy washy wonky guy. Okay? Sure, sure, I mean, sure. I, I, You're very, logical. I'm yeah, very practical. Yeah. And, and uh, but I, I do believe that, that God, you know, yeah, is on our side. Yes. And 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 I and, and I prayed all the way down there, and I called my friend in Tennessee, you know, who's. In, instrumental part of prayer for all of us mm-hmm. through all this. And we were just praying, you know, Lord, take care of this. And, and I, I can't tell you what happened. You know, I, I, I can just tell you, I'd never found what it was and nothing has ever been said since. Mm. And the ticket was never even paid. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> wow. It's pretty incredible. You know, I've uh, already asked both of you to share words of encouragement for those who are in addiction or those who have a loved one in addiction. I'm curious, Roland, for you, before we kind of move to our rapid fire questions, um, you were raising her kids indefinitely. You did not know when, if at all, she was going to kind of pull out of this. You were hoping, you were praying, but didn't know you took in your grandkids. Um, what was that experience like for you? And, and, and is there any encouragement you might have to others who are maybe finding themselves in that situation right now? Like to other parents, mm-hmm. yes. Um, well, number one, it's 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 a sacrifice that is well worth it. Um, I, I, I couldn't have, you know, I couldn't have said no to my grandkids, and I, I also want to say that I couldn't probably have done it, and I certainly couldn't have done it very well without the help of my wife, my sweet wife, Brita, mm. um, who was there every step of the way. Mm. And, you know, when we talked about, you know, what are we going to do? Where are the kids going to live? Then um, and, and we together made the decision that it, that we were going to make the sacrifice. Mm. Um, to, to and I, I, When I say sacrifice, I don't, I don't you know, I don't, that may not be the right word, but you know, when I, you're, I totally when get it. It's a sacrifice. When it your kids are out of, the, you yeah. know, are grown out of the home, you know, yeah. you're not expecting to be having. I feel like it's a sacrifice even for so. my current <laughs> kids. Uh, but but she, I just wanted just to say that that Brita was was very willing um, 
to, to, to help me through that. And I'm so thankful. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I, let's move into rapid fire questions. I know there's a whole lot more we could talk about with y'all's story, but I want to end the way we do every single podcast, which is a list of I don't know, five, six, seven questions here that we like to ask every single guest. And so since there's two of you, I'll start with you rolling on this one and I'll start with you on the second one, but I want both of y'all to answer. Cool. Mm-hmm. All ready. All right. Question number one, start with you rolling. I'm gonna go to you, Brooke. What is either the last show or movie you watched or book that you read? You pick movie, show or book. Hmm. Movie, show or book. Well, let's see. Um, book. I, I just finished a, uh, this is maybe kind of boring, but a deep dive into Genesis. Okay. Yeah. It's a book written by Dennis Prager. Okay. Um, uh, he's a Jew, you may know. Yeah. Um, but it's an interesting historical perspective. Yeah, right on. The, the events. It doesn't sound uh, boring to me. Sounds yeah. like it's right up Robert's alley, especially. <laughs> yeah, I know and, that and I highly recommend that book to Christians, by okay. the way. Yeah. What was it called? Just a deep dive in Genesis? No, it's uh, um, it's called The Rational Bible. Okay. And he wrote uh, um, uh, a commentary on Genesis and Exodus, and he will end up doing one on the next three also, yeah. Okay, excellent. Are you a movie watcher at all? A show? Uh, not much. Not as much. Yeah. What about you, Brooke? If you don't say the Bible, now you're going to sound like you're not as spiritual <laughs> as your dad. Well, it is funny because, as you know, I'm in the middle of doing a deep dive in Genesis. <laughs> hey, there you go. Yeah, by it's a it's called um, God of Creation by Jen Wilkin. Um, Man, there you go. That's, so yeah, that's we should have just made re- this a podcast about Genesis. <laughs> not? Let's talk about what you're learning. The first book uh, of the Bible. That's funny. But that's cool. um, the other book is Jesus Through the Eyes of Women, um, which has been mm-hmm. it's been a really good good read for me. Shows. Um, I just finished watching The Crown. I watched over the last several months, which was pretty good. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Right on. Excellent. Next question. We'll start with you, Brooke, and then go to you, Roland. What is your favorite band? Favorite band? Like of all time. Oh. And if that's too hard for you, you can just go with like what's your current favorite band. Michael Jackson would probably have to all be. All time? One. What's your favorite Michael one Jackson of my, song? Uh, probably uh, Billie Jean. Billie Jean. <laughs> right on. Excellent. Favorite band? Oh, gosh. That's, um, that's hard for me to. It's, that's a hard question. It is. Most people say that. They're like, ah. Oh. That's why I always say, if you can't think of a favorite all time, then just maybe what's your favorite right now? Something in the Southern rock genre. Like Credence, uh, Clearwater type yeah, stuff? I like them. ZZ Top. Uh, right on. Yeah. yeah, it's good stuff. That's good. Um, what is, start with you, Roland, what is your favorite meal? Crawfish bisque. Ooh. Crawfish bisque. I mean, I heard of it. What exactly is crawfish bisque? Um, well, it's, it's like a gumbo, which is my favorite. Okay. Um, favorite meal. Think of, think of crawfish gumbo, but then they also take the crawfish tails and they make a stuffing with the tails and the Ooh. fat and the bell pepper, onion and celery and breadcrumbs make a stuffing and they stuff the crawfish head. Holy cow. With it. And uh, then you bake that and then drop those into the gumbo. What? Yeah. Mm. Oh, it is fantastic. If it's it, it's a little tricky to cook it. But if you I know, bet it's tricky yeah. to cook it. My wife every year for my birthday makes me gumbo. 
So mm-hmm. we talked about this off air. My, I have family that was in Monroe, Louisiana, and my grandparents used to live right outside of Monroe, Louisiana. And so I uh, grew up eating gumbo mm-hmm. from my grandmother, and then she passed the recipe on to my wife. And now that I'm gluten-free, she's got to try to figure out <laughs> how to make roux with gluten-free flour, which yeah. is not as rich. Yeah, The roux is the tricky part. People don't realize oh, yeah. that. It's like oh, you yeah. can't cover it up, man. It's like yeah. it's got to be perfect. Yeah, Very good. Favorite meal? Mine's probably gumbo. Mm. You throw that rice on top <laughs> or on the bottom? Bottom. Yeah, it's a big deal. I like the juice. You do French bread with it? Well, you can't do it now. You're gluten-free too. They have gluten-free French bread. Really? Is that what you do? Uh, I have before, yeah. Okay. Right on. Man, Genesis and gumbo. Y'all need to make that <laughs> make that a thing. Oh, GG. A name of a show. Yeah. <laughs> um, Brooke, what is on your nightstand right now? On my nightstand? A stack of books and my Bible and my essential oils. And a lamp, of course. That's a lot. It's a big nightstand. <laughs> what is on your nightstand right now? My CPAP. Right on, man. <laughs> I got uh, you. Uh, give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Give us a snapshot, just an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Um, anything outside. Okay. I, I just love being out in the outdoors. Um, I mean, it's his majesty. I just, I just love, wake up and, you know, twilight. That time of day, mm-hmm. just, yeah. Are you a hunter, fisher? Mm-hmm. You are right. Yeah, yeah. I want to get back to fishing. I used to have a uh, John boat. I sold it mm-hmm. when I got married. Sold that and my '72 f- Fender Thinline Telecaster guitar, just like about <laughs> wow. a wedding. And I've not gone fishing since then, really. What a compromise. <laughs> I'm a, she doesn't know how I'm a romantic she man. She <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, excellent. Uh, Brooke, what about you? Give us a just a. Snapshot of an ordinary moment that brings you great joy. Um, I'm with him on the outdoors. We like to kayak, so mm-hmm. just a day on the river, or um, like a Friday night at home in the winter with the fire in the fireplace and mm-hmm. the family watching a movie. Great. Last question. What is one thing in your life that you're deeply grateful for right now, Brooke? Um, for Jesus's relentless pursuit of my heart mm. is what I would be so grateful for. Well, what would you say? What's Fam- one thing? Family. Yeah. Family, my grandkids, We, my wife and I have 12. And um, thankful for each and every last one of them and their health. And uh, the fact that all of our kids serve the Lord. Mm. And they're, they're teaching their children to do that. Mm. Uh, there's every day we, we're, we thank the Lord for that. Yeah, it's great. I'm really thankful that both of you decided to do this. This is really last minute, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, appreciate you, Brooke, uh, especially being willing because I know that was not a comfortable thing for you or you, Roland. These are these are vulnerable conversations, and I just want to say I know I was bragging on Brooke, but I just want to brag on you as well because I've known you now for 11 years, somewhere around there, and um, I know that you said there's some things that you had regrets of early on, but you know, I know it's cliche of like, it's not how you start, but it's how you finish type deal. And it's like, it's really awesome to me that you were a man who was able to learn from some of the mistakes rather than letting those define you and that you continue to be active in Brooke's life and pursue her and be a cheerleader and an encourager and continue to pray. Um, so that's something that I hope is 
true of me as a father as I get older as well. Cause I know y'all still have like all of us imperfect relationships, but <laughs> a good relationship, um, even into your adult life. And I hope that's true of, of me and my kids as well. So thanks again to both of you for coming on. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And that was Brooke Smith and Roland Irwin. What an incredible story. I've heard it before. You've heard most of it before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that was new to you listening to that? Um, I mean, uh, probably just to think about it from a dad's perspective, because uh, you don't often, when you're on the outside looking in, or if it's somebody that you're detached from, you don't often think about the family who love them and, and who are close to them, know them best. And something that he said even was that you often think like, well, that's just the kind of person they are. That's how they always have been. Mm-hmm. And then once it happened to someone that he knew and how they just became a different person, um, that was uh, eye-opening to me. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was real impactful. Yeah. You know, one of the things I learned back in the day when I worked at Arkansas Counseling <clears throat> was some of the people that I was always really quick to judge or look at and be like, how could they do that? It's like once you really got to know their story, you at least were able to have a little bit of empathy and a little bit more understanding to be like, oh, okay, like this person didn't just like wake up one day and be like, I'm going to become a whatever. It's like yeah. it was kind of a slow thing. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's important to keep that perspective. And so um, Roland and Brooke, thanks so much for coming on. And hey, for those of you that are still listening, thanks for tuning in every single week. This is why we continue to do what we do. Um, And so if you've not already done so, check us out on different social media platforms. We're on uh, primarily on Instagram and Facebook. And so you can go follow us on, on Instagram, Facebook, uh, keep up with all of our posts. We also have a website, paragolpodcast.com. And if you've not done this, please go to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Uh, that just helps people find us more quickly and learn about the incredible people living here in Paragold. So, again, thanks for listening. Until next time.